Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, everyone online. Um, our Bible reading for today will be taken from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. At the end of the reading, as is our custom, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Wherever you are, we encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. So 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Um, this is the time where you're meant to respond, but um, you're, not, you're not here with me. Um, but good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Um, special shout out to those who are watching us on LiveTube. Um, I was going to say LiveTube, but there's nothing like LiveTube. You're watching the live stream on YouTube um, or on Instagram, or you're streaming via audio on Mixler. Um, thank you for tuning in. A special shout out to um, our brothers and sisters who are in self-isolation. We're, we're thinking about you and are praying for you and praying for um, your quick recovery as well. And also for those of you who are in the healthcare industry, um, I'm praying that God continues to strengthen you guys in this season. And let me also welcome those of you who are not Christians or you're not um, a member of City Church. You, you typically don't go to church, but someone has sent you the um, links to the live stream and you're tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning in. And so if it, if it feels strange for you to be watching me um, in your bedroom or in your living room or in your study or wherever you are, it equally feels strange um, for me as well to be looking into a camera and to be speaking to you. 
And it just feels like so much has happened in the last one week. It feels almost like 20 lifetimes, at least for me personally. And so thinking about where we were on Tuesday, um, and we usually have a um, staff meeting as a church on, um, a church staff on, on Tuesdays. And so some of the members of staff came up with the idea that we really should be considering live streaming. Um, and you know, at the time, so as a Tuesday, there were just two cases, and it seemed like everything was under control, like it was contained. And at least personally for me, you know, it was just like, oh, okay, good idea. But then, you know, we just filed it away in the KIV file, the Keep in View file, that file that is in your head mentally for good ideas that you never use. Um, and that's where we stored it. And so everyone was like, eh, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll consider we consider it when the time is appropriate or when, when the time comes. But then we go to sleep on Tuesday and wake up on Wednesday morning. And let's just say that that file was brought out of the archives and was right in front of us um, on Wednesday morning. And it's, it's been a crazy time since then. And for many of you, um, I know the world as you know it has changed, if not, um, if not permanently, at least temporarily. And so now you're working from home. Your kids are home as well. They just stop going to school on Friday, but they are already bored. And you know, you're thinking about what am I going to do for the next four weeks? What am I going to be doing throughout all of this season? Or maybe you're an employer or someone in management in your office, and this actually has implications for your job, for you know, deadlines, for transactions, money you've invested. And you know, it's at this time where we're facing an existential threat um, to our lives, to our families, to our goals, to our dreams, to our aspirations. I will really begin to wonder whether we are that special after all. And so some of us, like this whole COVID-19 business has just humbled you. Like all the 50-50 shoulder pads on your, on your shoulders that you piled up, they haven't just disappeared, like they've melted, literally. And so like every semblance of pride in your life has disappeared and you realize that, man, I'm not special after all. For you, special is someone like Cristiano Ronaldo who can elope with his family to, a, to his private villa on an island in Madeira and shut out from the world and, you know, be, be sending us photographs and, and, and videos on Instagram, just seeing how much they're enjoying and the beautiful scenery that they have, you know, while the rest of us common humanity deals with the effects of COVID-19. And you're looking at that and you feel like, man, I'm, 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 not, I'm not special. You're humble. But not in a good sense. You're humble in the sense of being doubtful, being afraid, of being fearful. But then there are some of us that this whole COVID-19 business has brought out your spiritual swagger. And so like Psalm 91, as Pastor Femme was saying earlier, Psalm 91 is on the memory card of your brain. You found it there. You're constantly confessing it. And you know, you're saying things like, I have a covenant of life with God. Like this thing is not my portion. And you know, you're, you're just like, nothing can happen to me. And you're in that realm. And you believe you're special and you're invincible and you cannot be affected by the virus or the things that the virus is going to, to cause. But you see, both of these people are wrong. Both of these people are wrong because they derive their specialness or their identity from themselves, from what they can do, from how they interact with all that's going on in the world. They are wrong because they are fixated on themselves. And our text is especially helpful today in thinking about what it actually means to be special or what it actually means to be a special one because Peter is writing to believers who are scattered around the world and experiencing persecution. 
They're experiencing tough times. They're experiencing hardship, literally going through hardship. And so this letter that he's writing is intended to actually humble those who are proud, but also to lift up those who are lowly. And so we're going to see today um, what it actually means to be special as we examine the question which I've titled the sermon as, Does God Have Special Ones? And Peter actually shows us two special groups in this passage. So the first group, which is also my first point, is God's special ones. And the second group, which is also my second, second point, is guess what? God's special one. So God's special ones and God's special ones. You guys, there's no creativity. Just, 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 just give it to me. All right, so um, let's pray as we dive in. Lord, we're just so grateful for the gift of your word, grateful for the gift of technology that we can actually um, still gather together virtually and to hear your word preached and proclaimed. And Lord, I hope this morning is not in the eloquence of any person, of any man, oh God, but it is in the certainty of your word. And so we ask that you meet us wherever we are right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so God's special ones. And so maybe it's helpful to kind of think about where we've been and, and what's going on in this um, letter that Peter is writing. So the immediate context, like I was saying earlier, is um, the Apostle Peter is writing to a group of believers who are scattered across the world. He actually calls them believers in dispersion, um, scattered across the world and experiencing persecution. And he's writing this towards the end of his life. And so he begins in the first two chapters reminding them of who they are, their identity, their purpose, and how to thrive in the midst of the suffering and persecution that they are going through. And, and I guess it might be helpful for some of us who haven't, who, um, whether you were in church or you, um, you weren't in church, uh, two weeks ago, Dami preached a sermon on chapter 1, verses 6 to 12, called Fireproof Joy. And I think that's especially helpful um, in this season and all that we're experiencing. So you can want to go and listen to that when this is over, not now. Okay, so, um, so Peter is writing to these believers, but now we're in chapter 2, verse 4. And he opens with the words, as you come to him, as you come to him. And by doing that, he's continuing his flow from verse 3, which we saw, uh, verse, verses 2 and 3, which we saw last week, where he's actually saying that believers should actually taste and see that the Lord is good, that believers should actually desire God like spiritual milk. But this time, he's showing that believers who are scattered all over the world, suffering and experiencing persecution and going through different things, are not marked mainly by what they're experiencing, but the direction in which they are walking. And so he's speaking in the, in the, in the present continuous tense. He's saying, as you come to him, it indicates an action that is both present in the now, but is also continuing as he speaks. And he's saying that what marks a Christian is not mainly a decision that he made five years ago, or 15 years ago, or 25 years ago, when he responded to an altar call, but actually the direction in which you are walking with Christ right now. And so he's saying, you guys, you are coming to Christ. You are walking to Christ. You've come to Christ, but also you are continuing on the journey with him. But then he goes on in verse 5, and he says, believers are also marked by the person that they are joined to. And so let's see verses 4 to 5. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable through Jesus Christ. And so he's saying that believers are traveling on their journey with Christ, so they're coming to Christ. But this Christ is the living stone. And as the life of Christ is being transmitted to these believers, they are also being made into living stones. And see, what he's saying here is that because of our union with Christ, because of the union with Christ that we have as believers, the life of Christ is also working in us. We're being made like him. Well, you see, the direction believers are walking in, so that's towards Christ, and the life of Christ that is working in them is meant to achieve something. And so in verse 5, he says that, like living stones, they are being built into a spiritual house or a temple so that they can be holy priesthood and offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And what Peter is doing here is he's evoking the imagery of the Old Testament. You see, so um, in, in, in the Old Testament, particularly in Exodus chapter 25 to 31, God gives instruction to the people of Israel saying that they should build a special place, a tabernacle for him so that he can actually dwell among them. And as time goes on um, in the history of the children of Israel, we see in 1 Kings chapter 5 to 8 that this tabernacle, this building, even though it was elegant, now becomes an actual temple, a building made of concrete. And Solomon dedicates this really magnificent place where God dwells among his people. And that was what made the children of Israel special. They had this place where the God of heaven was dwelling. God was tabernacling with them. And so it it distinguished them from other nations in the world. And so this temple was a spiritual house. Well, Peter says that believers, Christians today, are God's spiritual house. God's temple where God resides. And in a day like today where we can't gather where we usually gather, where we are in our different homes and houses and in different spaces. We can actually appreciate that fact that it is not God's dwelling place. It is not a building. God's dwelling place is a people, a special people. Amen. Amen. Thank you. But he goes on to say that these living stones are also being made into a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God. And so again, he's also And Peter actually does this a lot in in his letter. He's actually just um, quoting things from the Old Testament to show believers that you are actually now God's special people. That God's special people are no longer a people who are limited by race or by boundary, but that every person who is joined to Christ is God's special person. And so he goes on here to say, actually, by using the imagery of the, the priesthood, he's actually saying that this is what believers are right now. I see the priesthood is inaugurated in Exodus um, as well. And one of the things that priests were supposed to do is that they were, they were basically their function was to teach people God's law, but also speak to God on behalf of the people. And so now this is the elite squad within the elite squad. It's like having the Navy SEALs um, um, within the U.S. Army or to bring it home. It's like having mobile police within the Nigerian police force. Um, Sorry if I'm comparing to mobile police and you don't like that. But that's, that's, that's what he's getting at, that this is a doubly elite squad. And so if you're an Israelite, like, you are already special. You are already a distinct person because, like, God dwells amongst his people. God dwells within you, and, like, that's something that's really special. It separates you from the world. But, well, if you are a priest, and priests at the time were limited to the tribe of 
Levi, and if you're a priest, you're from the tribe of Levi, like this was double specialness. This was being separated from the separated people. And so Peter evokes these two images to tell us that as Christians, these people who are suffering untold persecution, these people who are going through hardship, these people who are experiencing things that we don't even, we can't even begin to think about, scattered around the world, hiding for their lives. He says they are doubly special because they all have access to God. And friends, brothers and sisters, watching from home or wherever you're watching from, this is equally true of us in COVID-19 infested March 2020 in Lagos or Abuja, wherever you are. We're scattered across our homes. We are dispersed in different places. We are sheltering against the virus. And God's word to us is that we are his special ones. We have unlimited, unrestricted access to God. And so some of you may be familiar with something called fair usage policy. Fair usage policy is a policy that has to do with how people use the internet. And so basically, even though you may have subscribed to an unlimited plan, um, ISPs usually have, or internet service providers usually have a fair usage max or, 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 or plan that you can actually get to. So say, for instance, your data speed is 21 megabytes per second, which is crazy, right? But 21 megabytes per second. It gets to a point in time, possibly during the middle of the month, if you've exceeded a certain cap, that it actually slowed down that speed so that other people can also have access to good internet as well. And so you're actually having unlimited access to the internet, but it's actually being restricted because there are not enough resources, so it has to be distributed. And some of us think of our relationship with God like that, like, eh, I know that I have unlimited access to God, but like, this other person has special access, more special access than I do. Well, Peter is saying that, no, 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 that as Christians, there's no fair usage policy in our relationship with God. As Christians, we all, we all have equal access. We all have unlimited, unrestricted access to the God who is the king of the universe. And we all are his special ones. But you know, also there are some of you who are watching and this whole thing has made you just bent inward and just thinking about yourselves and how you, know, you keep yourself safe and how you keep your family safe and how you keep your children safe and how everyone around you is meant to be safe. But well, verse five actually upends that category. If you look at that verse, it says, you like living stones. And so he's talking in the plural there. And what he's saying is that Christians are not just marked by their own personal relationship to Christ, but they are also marked by their relationship to other Christ followers as well. And so our relationship is not just to the one person, to, to, to the greatness of God, to the great God, to, to, to the great Christ, but also to God's special people as well. And can I just say, brothers and sisters, that this is true even now. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, a verse that was on our mind as, as a leadership and as a staff, just thinking about how do we even navigate all the craziness that's going on, it says that we should not neglect to gather together as believers. And that's not, that's not a command that's restricted to COVID-19. That's a command that stands all the time. And so we may not be able to gather like this together physically, gather on the Lord's day to worship and sing and praise his name and pray to him, 
but we can actually still deliberately take time to gather as God's people. And so that means, for instance, that as long as our GCs are still, it's still safe and, and healthy to do so, that it's good to actually get together in our GCs. And I say that knowing that, for instance, this on, on Friday we had to relocate another GC from the place he was meeting. And on, on Sunday today, a GC that is meant to, to be meeting cannot meet just because we're also thinking on the one hand that, yes, we need to gather, but we actually need to think also about our safety as well. And so I'm not saying that, that just gather and just dis, disregard the, 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 the um, guidelines from government or the, uh, the guidelines to be safe. But I'm saying that the Bible actually says we must continue to think about each other even in times like this. And so as long as your GCs hold, as long as it's advisable to do so, it's important that we actually gather together physically as God's people to worship God together, to learn about him together. But it also means that we can actually, even right now, check on each other via phone calls and text messages and know how people are doing. It also mean, it means that if there are elder, elderly members of our community, and there are elderly members of our community and those with kids who may not be able to go out and be able to get things, we can actually check on them and find out how we can actually serve them. And maybe use a little bit of our petrol or, or, or use a little bit of our time that we'll have used for something else to actually seek to serve these people because together we are living stones. We are God's special ones. We are not just related to Christ. We are related to Christ's people as well. Friends, we are the spiritual house of God. We are the temple that God is building. We are the special place that God is inhabiting. But you see, he also calls us a holy priesthood. And I'm not going to talk too much about this because we talked about it last week. And as Peter goes on, he actually builds on this concept. But the idea, again, is that because priests were the elite squad within the elite squad, they actually had to be separate and distinct to God. I know oftentimes we often just think of our holiness as, you know, the things you do, the things you say, or the kind of clothes you wear. Like we saw last week, that that's not what all that holiness is. And so holiness is, yes, moral, moral purity, but also it refers to our being distinct and separate as God's people. And friends, what that means, just practically, is that this world is not our home. And it seems like all that God, all that's happening this week is God's megaphone to us as a world, saying to us, particularly as believers, that this world is not your home. Don't get comfortable here. This world is not our home. And that just means, friends, that things are going to be broken, but also that we really will never fit in. It means that there are, there are things that we won't be able to do. There are places we won't be able to go. There are, there are, there are, there are levels that we might not be able to reach because we are God's holy priesthood. We have been set apart for God. And this is not just talking about the preaching team or the pastors or the leaders of a church. It's talking about every believer who has unlimited, unrestricted access to God. God calls us to actually live as holy priests to him. But Peter is not done. He's not done at all because he revisits his initial descriptors in, chapter, in, in verses 4 to 5. He restates it again in verses 9 to 10. And so he says that, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And it's almost as though if you don't get it now, get it, that like this is what I'm saying. You are God's special possession. 
that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And in verse 9 again, like I said, Peter is just borrowing from, from Jewish imagery. He's borrowing from all that's been said in the Old Testament. And what he's saying in verse 9 again, he's basically restating what Moses says in Exodus 19, verse 5 to 6, just before he gives the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. The very same words Moses uses to, the, to talk to the nation of Israel, Peter is using to talk to believers. And he's saying we are God's special ones. We are God's possession. But then he adds in verse 9, he says that the reason why God does this is not so that we can look at ourselves and think of how great we are and think of how like, we are so beautiful and so great and so wonderful. No, he says the reason why God does this is so that we can declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that we can declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And some of you may be familiar with the old Spider-Man movies. I say old because 2002 has suddenly become old in, in, in 2020. And so the first, um, the first set of Spider-Man movies um, came out in 2002. And it had Tobey Maguire, the American actor, as Peter Parker. I've not seen the, the, the new ones. I don't have anything against the guy, but I just feel like that old Spider-Man movie is the standard. Anyway, um, we're not talking about Marvel this morning. Um, so Peter Parker, the, the, the background to Spider-Man is that Peter Parker is a high school student who is very nerdy, very skinny, and gets bullied by people. He doesn't have any girlfriends. He doesn't have any real friends except other nerds like him. Just really this social reject. Gets bullied by bullies. Uh, he gets picked on. And so one day he's working on an assignment and he gets beaten by a spider. Except that this is not just an ordinary spider. This is a very special spider. And this spider transfers power to Peter Parker. And so Peter Parker suddenly becomes this very muscular guy. I would love that to happen to me, actually. Just wake up like I sleep with, with pot belly one night and just wake up the very next morning like just you know, six pack, everything is just there. Receive it. Um, anyway, so Peter Parker just suddenly becomes this very buff guy, he just wakes up, he's like, everything is like muscles there. He can suddenly defeat, you know, his enemies or his bullies. And so that's what he begins to do. He begins to use his power to defeat his bullies. He um, actually goes into wrestling matches or boxing matches, and he's getting money from there so that he can buy a car and impress girls. And so he's using his power that way. And so in a very famous scene that some of you who have watched the movie remember, and even if you've not watched the movie, you probably heard these lines. His uncle, Uncle Ben, has him in the car, and they are going um, somewhere together. And so his uncle knows. His uncle doesn't tell him, but his uncle knows that he has this um, um, extra powers. And his uncle says to him, hey, why are you doing this, all of those kind of things? And Peter Parker responds. And then his uncle then says, in these very famous lines, he says, with great power, comes great responsibility. Now, his uncle later dies. Peter Parker doesn't take that advice. His uncle later dies. And you know, Peter Parker suddenly gets that light, and he begins to act forward in that way, he becomes a superhero that saves the city. But his uncle says to him, like Peter, like, like Peter your power is not so that you can just defeat mere bullies. 
Your power is not so that you can win girls and have money and buy a car. Your power has been given to you to do greater things. Well, there is another Uncle Peter who is talking to us this morning. And he's saying our role as God's special possession is not just so that we can get power for ourselves. It's not just so that we can look at ourselves and think of how fly and how great we are. This very king's kids kind of people who nothing in the world can touch and nothing can happen to them. No, he's saying you guys, you are God's special possession so that you can sing his praises to a world that is confused in 2020. So that you can declare how great he is to a world that doesn't have any inkling of who this great God is. And so friends, COVID-19 cannot ultimately cramp our style. It may change our style, but it cannot ultimately cramp our style because God's commands to us transforms or goes beyond all that we're experiencing right now. We are God's special possessions. We are people who are looking to the hope of the gospel that transforms us even in the present times and affects how we do our work. Even though we are locked in and you might have to work from home or even though you might have to think of how you are going to care for your kids this week. Do you have to get another teacher? Do you have to get someone an extra hand to monitor them? You might have to think about how you actually save on fuel this week because there's no power and yet you have to do your work. And you are thinking of how this thing is going to affect your business or how it's going to affect your livelihood as a family. Well, all of those might be happening even right now, but it says you are still God's special ones. You are still God's special possessions. And so everything might not be going well even in this life. Everything might not be going well in this world that is not our home, but the gospel affects how we look. It affects how we view. It affects us. It gives us as a people Hope not just for this life, Paul says, that if our hope is even for this life, we are of all men most miserable. But he says that our hope is also for the life to come. And friends, can I just encourage you at home? You are God's special ones. You are God's special ones. And so we ask, does God have special ones? And Uncle Peter says, yes, God has special ones. And we say, oh, who are these special ones? Uncle Peter says, Christians are God's special ones. And if you are a Christian, you have been saved and, and bought and redeemed by the blood of Christ. You right there are God's special ones. And I don't know if this might be helpful to everyone, but just thinking, I felt I should read this verse, Isaiah 43 um, verses 1 to 3. Here's what God says. He says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, not me, God. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fires, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am your holy, for I am, your, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I am with you. And friends, that is the hope that we have, that we are actually God's special ones. But you see, like any good uncle, Uncle Peter doesn't just stop there. He goes on and shows us that, yes, you are God's special one, but there is God's special one. Which leads me to um, a story that um, some of you who are, especially those of you who are football fans might be familiar with. So you may have heard of the person called the special one, a very arrogant man like that. Um, so Jose Mourinho is a Portuguese manager who coached top football clubs in Europe. 
And so in 2003, he was hired from um, an Italian club and he was hired to come and be manager of Chelsea Football Club in, um, in England. And at a press conference where he was unveiled to the, to the English press, he made the following statement. We have top players. And sorry if I'm arrogant. Whatever comes after that doesn't usually go well, but he says, he says and sorry if I'm arrogant, we have a top manager. He then added, please, don't call me arrogant, but I'm a European champion, and I think I'm a special one. <laughs> That's how he actually introduces himself to the English press. And so they started calling him the special one after that. And he ended up winning during, so he was manager or coach for, um, uh, for Chelsea from 2003 till about 2007, and he ended up winning six trophies for Chelsea and he had a consecutive 64 home game wins for Chelsea Football Club. He was indeed a special one. <laughs> Except that today, um, <laughs> he is coaching a football club that is struggling for eighth place in the English Premier League. All right? I know the Arsenal fans are happy and throwing up their hands there. <laughs> so his specialness is in doubt. Like, you can scream I'm the special one all you want, but if the results they are getting is not living up to that, then you're not a special person. But Peter, Uncle Peter, introduces us to another special one. In fact, this is not merely a special one. He says this is the special one. And so in verse 4, he says, This special one is a living stone chosen by God and precious to God. In verse 5, he says, Christians can only offer acceptable sacrifices to God through Christ. In other words, even though Christians are priests to God, they are not mediators to God. And he's saying Christ is the one who is the high priest and the one who is the mediator to God. And by saying this, Peter is pointing to Jesus' exclusive role or Jesus' special place. Jesus as God's special one. And he makes this further explicit. We come to verse 6. He says, For in scripture he says, See, I lay a stone in Zion. I choose a precious and cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You see, Jesus and um, Peter, <laughs> Peter has already called Jesus the living stone, as we saw in verse 4. But now he's also calling him the cornerstone. And the idea he's, he's um, giving to us here, it comes from construction. And so in construction, there's the stone called the cornerstone. And it's a fundamental piece of stone or block upon which all other stones in the house are placed or all other stones are aligned with. And so you can actually have um, a, a, a building where some blocks may fall off and the house remain intact. But if the cornerstone falls off, everything crumbles. Everything is in shatters. And Peter is saying here that Jesus is God's cornerstone. He is God's corner piece. He's the living stone upon which all other stones are placed. And friends, Christians are God's special ones, yes. But they are only God's special ones because they are joined to God's special one, Christ. But he says in verse 6 that this cornerstone is chosen and precious. In fact, those two words appear a lot throughout this section. In verse 4, he says that, that this stone has been rejected by humans, but is chosen by God and precious to him. 
In verse 6, it says, I'm laying a stone in Zion, but it's a chosen and precious cornerstone. In verse 7, it says that for those who believe, this stone is a precious stone. And it's as though Peter is screaming. He doesn't want us to miss this. He's saying, guys, Christ is God's cornerstone. Christ is God's special one. And why is this good news? Why is this something that should make our hearts sing, even in dark times like this? See, it is because Christ is God's special one. It is because Christ is God's chosen one that we can also be God's chosen people. And in fact, Peter uses that term in verse 9. He says, we are a chosen people. And, he's, and he's, he's pointing that because this stone is a chosen stone, this stone is a precious stone, this stone is God's special one, you guys are also God's special and chosen people. But even in verse 6, we see the point he's making. He's saying that those who are connected to this special stone will never be put to shame. Look at it. It says, a chosen and precious stone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And shame here, friends, is both temporal shame, that is shame in this life, but also shame in the life to come. Eternal shame. And as human beings, we're all familiar with shame. We're all familiar with shame. I remember... It just comes to my mind right now. So beware of, of illustrations that come on the spot. But I remember um, something that happened to me when I was like 10. I went for somebody's birthday party. A girl. Um, I think she was a few years older, like two years older than me. And, you know, as a good guy, I went to meet her to felicitate on this very special occasion with her. And how does she respond? Um, it even, it's, I'm ashamed even telling you guys how she responds. <laughs> I get a hot slap. Ooh. That is the way I am welcomed to the party. And I remember a friend, like, as in, it's so bad, like, I'm, I'm, I'm reeling from the impact of a slap. And I'm also thinking, like, why, what did I do to get this slap? And another guy says, no, this is too bad. I have to rescue my friend. And so the guy goes there and fights for me. And I cannot forget just that, the, the, the shame, the ignominy that I felt at the time. And maybe yours is not, you didn't go to a party party and you were slapped, but we are all familiar with shame. The shame that lack brings. The shame of not having enough. The shame of not being able to excel at your job and meet your targets, especially now that COVID-19 is staring us in the face. Or for some of us, it's a potential lack of shame of not being able to provide for your family. And I'm particularly thinking of members of our church community who are working blue-collar jobs. And you can't actually go and work at home. Your job demands that you're actually there. And now business has shut down. And it's like, where am I going to get income from? Where am I going to be able to provide for my family from? Or the shame of your past sins and you're thinking about all the despicable and terrible things you have done. And you just don't want to see that person that you said something to so many years ago because you're just ashamed of what could happen. Or the shame of doing all that you can to maintain a relationship and maybe you even disobeyed God so that you can actually keep this one person. 
And so that you guys can actually build your life together and this person rejected you and turned away. Or maybe I've been thinking about the shame of how you'd be able to stand before God on the last day and actually stare him in the face when he asks you to give an account for your life. Well, friends, we all know shame. But the good news is that God's special one knows shame as well. God's special one knows shame too. Jesus in his earthly life was born in a manger. And I'm just thinking, the, the, so last week I said a Yoruba proverb that I didn't translate quite well. This one I'm going to try, I'm going to do better. But the Yoruba word for, for manger is just a very despicable term. It's Ibujero, and literally it means the very place where um, animals go to feed. And the picture there is like a poultry. I know that there are some fine and really fresh poultries in this part of Lagos. Antidemos poultry is one of them. But no matter how much I like that poultry, man, I don't want to be born there. I don't want to come from there. And the great God of the universe was born in an animal shed. Just imagine how the bullies in his neighborhood would have taunted him growing up. Ah, that boy that was born in the animal shed. Well, Jesus knows shame too. In fact, Jesus knows the shame that comes from not being born in a very high place. He was born in Nazareth, a town that nobody really wanted to have anything to do with. Jesus knows the shame of not being upwardly mobile. At some point, he tells his disciples, like, guys, I don't, I don't have a fresh house. I don't have a place where you guys can stay. He didn't, have, he didn't drive the latest horse at the time. He wasn't riding the chariots moving around town. Jesus knows the shame of rejection. And throughout his life, several times in his earthly ministry, he's ministering to people and they don't want to have anything to do with him. In fact, several times they actually want to kill him and he has to, ex to escape for his life. Jesus knows the shame of betrayal. One of his closest friends, one of his mentees, the guys, he's, like he's taking his time to actually develop this person and the person turns on him and betrays him. But you know, Jesus also knows the shame that comes from the guilt of sin. In fact, on the cross, it gets so bad that his father, his holy father, God, the father, actually turns his back against him. But Jesus goes through all of this. Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus experiences all the shame so that everyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Friends, he is God's special one who makes us God's special ones. And if you're a Christian and you're watching from home, the good news is that if you trust in Christ, you're already part of God's special ones. No matter what happens to you in this life, no matter what you experience, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much difficulty you go through, you will never be put to shame. No matter how much social distancing exists, you cannot be rejected because you have been accepted in the beloved. You are free from shame. But you know, it also means that if you're not a Christian, it doesn't end well. The picture isn't looking good. The weather forecast is not great. It actually says that there's a destiny of stumbling. If you look in verse 7 to 8, it says, Your destiny is to stumble. 
And the picture there is someone who trips over a stone, someone who is walking and the person falls down flat and the person is put to shame. And saying that that path you're on, that path of not trusting Christ, that path of thinking that your specialness comes from yourself and what you have and the, and the, and the connections you have and the people you know and how well you're excelling at your job and all the plans you have put in place to actually escape to Canada, all of those things may work out well in this life but it doesn't end well eternally. It says you will stumble. You will lose. You don't win this story. You don't win the battle. You actually will lose. But you see, God is great in mercy. God always wants to add to his special ones because of his special one. And so he says in verse 10, he says that you can receive a mercy that makes you part of God's special people. And you see, by definition, mercy is not something that can be earned. Mercy is not something that can be demanded. Mercy is something that has to be freely given. And the good news is that we have God's special one. We have God's special one, Jesus Christ, who actually can give that mercy to you. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.